So as we continue our series on the expressions of shalom, uh, we're, we were just reading about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was designed by God who had something fabulous in mind. It was much more than functional. It was lavish. It was colorful. It was ornate. It had um, colors and symbolism in mind. The full instruction that God gave throughout all these, all these verses involves all of the five senses. He wanted his people engaged, and he knew what would do it because he created us. The question used throughout our 130 years as a denomination is, where is it written? And we ask that question when engaging in life and looking to see how God's word uh, informs us. Well, God's word says much about the culture and arts and craftsmanship and beauty and the creativity that comes from human beings, which comes from the creativity of God. God apparently cares about creative expression, and he sees nothing superfluous or a fancy add-on if we only have time. He sees it as central. Eugene Peterson says, make friends with the artist. Let him rip off the veils of habit that obscure the beauty of Christ in the faces we look at day after day. Let her restore color and texture and smell to the salvation that has become disembodied in a fog of abstraction. Art is meant for our benefit and for the benefit of others and to bring glory and worship to God. And did you know, I'm sure you do, that the Bible is not just a series of, of sermons or lists of things to do and not do, how to think about what's right and wrong. It's not like the owner's manual for our car. The Bible narrative unfolds mostly in stories and poetry. In fact, 75% of the Bible consists of story. 15% is expressed in poetic forms, and only 10% is propositional and instructional. In churches, we usually reverse this, and we spend 75% in giving instruction and telling people what to do and how we should think, when really, there's a better way to do that, telling stories, depicting images. There's other ways to talk about and point to God. The Bible shows us that are rich ways to bring truth to life, to express the truth of God, the brokenness of the world, and the hope that we have. And we need artists to help us to do that. And we need the artists inside each one of us to help us to do that too. Jesus was a craftsman. He was an artist. He was creative in so many ways. And he was a wonderful answerer of questions that flummoxed and probably frustrated some of, her, some of his questioners. He could have just said, you know, be sure to forgive those who really are not deserving of being forgiven. Be sure to pay attention to those who need help. Persevere. Instead, he tells us stories that begin with phrases such as, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me now my share of the estate. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. And in a certain town, there was a judge who feared neither man nor God. Jesus knew that painting a picture with words 
would capture our attention and our hearts. He knew that because he knows us. We are created by and through him. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, you are so awesome. You're so good. You're so creative. You're so generous. You invite us into something so big um, that helps sustain us through the times and trials of our life. So, Lord, um, help us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us individually and as a church. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, expressions of shalom, the Hebrew word that means peace, a peace that is so much more than peace that is just things are okay, we feel settled, we feel, we feel calm. We've been using Cornelius Plantiga's definition, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but it means far more than peace of mind or a ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, Shalom means universal, flourishing, wholeness, delight. That's what God has for us. In Genesis, during the creation account, the shalom covered the whole earth. It was flourishing. It was beautiful. There was a wholeness, a perfection to it. And then, of course, things went south with the fall, and everything got broken. And yet there is still shalom to be had. There are glimpses of it. There's even a lot of it as we delve into that. God means for us to understand and experience it because he is the God of peace. He's the one that gives us peace that is beyond all understanding, peace that the world does not give, peace that the world cannot take away. And part of how we can experience this shalom is by our creativity of ourselves creativity of others, which points from, which comes from and points to God. We are not meant to live lives that are just trudging, trudging through the muck of lives, and sometimes it sure feels that way. Shalom, creativity, the arts is one way, a beautiful way that God gives to us to help us to live and to thrive. And God does give certain people particular giftings, as you're probably thinking. And uh, that was the point of our scripture in Exodus today. The brief passage, part of a much bigger passage of descriptions of the tabernacle, um, God gifted Bezalel and Aholiab in a variety of ways. And in fact, in this scripture, it's the first place in the Bible where God talks about filling people with his spirit. They're filled with the Spirit of God, and in granting them this gift, God placed his seal of approval on the flourishing of the arts. And not just visual arts, but all throughout the Bible, there's music, and there's beautiful food, and there's dance, and there's, uh, there's storytelling. The images are rich, extravagant. Sometimes they're clearly representational. Sometimes they're symbolic, and sometimes they're very abstract. All art of all kinds is woven throughout the Bible. So the, the facet of this image of God we are exploring today is creativity and culture, the arts. We're made in his image. We all had that spark of creativity for our shalom and for the shalom of the world. We will have an opportunity to hear now 
from several from our church family who teach, create, appreciate the arts, and these are our sisters and brothers that are representing, and I know, we know, that throughout here there are so many more, move this right over here, um, of you that are artists and craftsmen and creatives, and, uh, and in fact, I think, as I've been just noticing over the years, I think that this church has a, uh, a particularly high uh, percentage of people that are involved in creativity in the arts, and so we're going to get to hear from our esteemed panel this morning. I've always wanted to be a part of an esteemed panel, and I'll just point to this esteemed panel. Um, and this, we're doing a panel because when we got together several months ago in the evening and we were talking about our vision and we got feedback from you, one of the things that we heard over and over again is that you like to hear stories. You like to hear from our people. And so we've been doing that all throughout this summer, and this won't be a presentation from our people, but it will hopefully be a discussion from our people, and you'll get to hear a little bit from everybody here. So I'm going to introduce us, and let me just adjust this a little bit. Okay. All right. So we're going to go down the row and we'll start with Julie Cook is right at the end. And Julie, is, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this first of all, some of the people here who will remain unknown, un, un, uh, identified. some people are professionals, get paid for their, their art, and some people do their art for free. Everybody does their art for free anyway, so anyway, it's a mixture of professionals and those that aren't, and, and it doesn't even matter for this discussion, but um, so Julie is a, Julie Cook is a creative writer and um, leads workshops and classes on uh, creative writing and does writing herself. She's a writer. Here's Marcos Lerma. Marcos is a photographer, amazing photographers, uh, photographs mostly that I've seen have been of, of the beauty of the earth and our and our uh, our city and cities and I just was reading on your blog that you've turned a little bit more toward portraiture probably because they have a beautiful daughter named Sophia and then we have Rebecca Boyd and the thing that I love to say about Rebecca Boyd is that she has not met a power tool that she doesn't love <laughs> she loved that and Rebecca uh, is an artist uh, and a craftsman in a variety of ways. So building things, creative things, drawing things, uh, painting, uh, and silversmithing. And I think you even told me that you were part, was it an all-woman group that built a house for Habitat for Humanity? Isn't that awesome? Um, you're all awesome, but that was especially <laughs> awesome. Um, and then we have Pat McCowan, and Pat was clear to say that he, you know, Dory, I'm not an artist, but he's a great appreciator of the arts and a patron and helps to encourage the arts to be expressed throughout our region, our whole region and our community here, and he helps to do that. And here's Scott Bunty. Scott's an architect, he's an artist, he's a craftsman, uh, all-around great guy. And then here's Daniel Miares, and Daniel is also an artist and um, an illustrator. And, uh, and, and everybody here, it, everybody's a multifaceted craftsman and artist, so we're just kind of kind of focus on just little pieces of it. But um, let's just start by going down the road, down the line, and if you can just uh, briefly say how you first became engaged in creativity and your particular kind of art. What was it that got you even started on the road? Uh, for me, it started at a very early age. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from Pablo Picasso saying that uh, 
every child is an artist. Um, the problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. Um, so I really feel like we have a, you know, God gives us this, you know, this, uh, this, this ability or this, this uh, innate ability to create. And it's just about figuring, that, figuring out what that is, what that expression is. And for me, I love to paint, I love to draw. The only issue was I wasn't very good at it. So for the most part, um, it wasn't until I, you know, a high school class, photography class planted the seed and I wasn't really able to, uh, you know, cultivate that seed until I was 28 years old and that's when I picked up my first digital camera and that's when I started to take photographs more on a, on a consistent basis. So um, that's, how it, that's how it happened for me. Um, for me, um, I grew up in a family that didn't have any artists and um, they didn't really know what to do with me. And uh, so I was the kid, the annoying child that dumped my mom's macaroni and created art. And um, I feel like I'm still doing that in my life today. I still am exploring and as Dory alluded, I just love to explore and figure out what the next thing is to make art out of. For me, it was more of a restart. Um, I, I made my living as a writer um, early on in my career, and then um, those uh, kind of creative impulses went dormant, but they didn't die. And so they, they um, kind of resurfaced later in life, and um, I was able to um, learn how to play again, which is something I had forgotten, and learn that it's okay, and um, sometimes it's best to do in the safety of a, of a group that um, does it together. You know, and as always said, I'm not an artist, but actually my, my beginnings uh, have uh, really kind of started out with music and guitar and uh, moved on into uh, having my daughters dance and, and then finally uh, becoming really kind of just a supporter of the arts and making sure that other artists out there uh, have the opportunity to really kind of express their, uh, express their art. Um, I figured out when I was four that uh, it was more fun to take apart my toys and bikes and trikes and reassemble them into something <clears throat> different. And uh, I was always convinced I could make something better. And uh, that mantra is sort of what I follow in architecture too, that you know, my job is to make the world a better place than the way I found it. There's something about the age of four, I guess, that's pretty magical. So when I was four, my, uh, my father gave me an old tackle box. You know, I was like, well, I don't know how to fish, Dad. But I, I opened it up, and um, inside of it was a crow quill pen, like a dip pen, and some India ink. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like, oh, here's your set of color pencils, or here's your crayons. It was India ink kind of being thrown off the pier. And I... And so I got a bunch of paper, you know, um, anything I could find, and I would draw with this pen and ink. Um, and I was a lefty, so it, it really didn't um, work well for me at first because those pens are designed for right-handed motion, you know, don't smear your hand through the ink and whatnot. So, um, but as I worked through it, I realized that I could make marks, and those marks could mean something, and they could also mean something to other people. Um, and that's when I first got the bug. I realized there's a there's a charge or engagement with making images, um, and I was addicted. We have addiction recovery groups here too, Daniel. <laughs> could, could you pass that along later? <laughs> Thanks. I'll give you a card. <laughs> um, so some of you have alluded to this, but as we're talking about shalom, 
and wholeness and flourishing. Um, would there be a few of you who would be able to speak to that, how you have felt your, your, your times of being engaged in art or appreciating art have, you've experienced that? Something that struck me in the last service was, um, as everyone was sharing about their final uh, product, for me, it's always been the process. That's where um, the scripture comes alive, especially when um, I'm doing silversmithing. There's so many verses in the Bible that talk about um, how God just takes us through the fire and, and he makes, he reshapes and refastens us to be something else. And for me, that's where my, my total peace comes when I'm going through the process. And sometimes the piece doesn't even, the, the silver piece doesn't come out the way I wanted, but it was the process where um, I really felt the spiritual aspect of God come through that. I've always felt um, that making images and telling stories uh, with pictures was part of me being whole and we talk about shalom and wholeness that really rings true for me because when I don't do it I don't feel whole and that's why I could always say well I'm going to be an artist when I grow up it's like well maybe but I, it turns out I ended up being able to turn a buck doing it um, thank goodness because I, I whether it was my job or not I would still be doing it um, I was doing it from the earliest of age so um, and I think part of it wasn't was not because I had some mind for business that I had to go try to make, you know, a career doing something. It was more that if I didn't do it, I didn't feel whole. And I had to, I had to learn that. Um, I, I like the story also and uh, making connections, uh, having symbolism in things I do. Uh, recently renovated uh, the house next door for my father and we pulled four posts off the front of it. My contractor said, those are redwood posts, we ought to save those. So they sat in my backyard for about a year and a half, and recently we uh, planked them up, turned them into planks. They're five by five posts, turned them into planks, and I'm using it as a backsplash in my kitchen renovation. And I love to tell the story because, one, the post came from my father's house, who's right next door, so he's in there. And my mom came from California, which is where the redwood came from. So she's in there. And uh, I did it all. I stayed up late at night and did it. And, and so I'm in there, too. And uh, it's just that delight that comes from having a reason why I'm just I'm doing something for fun. But there's a reason. And there's a story behind it. And that's my favorite part, is exploring that delight in the story. as I started to relearn how to play with words and, and to go kind of go back to the page and, and, and find courage to do that, I found a lot of voices that were helping me. Um, other writers, um, books helped me kind of relearn uh, about the creative process and, and that it was, it was worthy to, to do that. But somewhere along the way, sometimes um, we're silenced. We can be silenced by the educational process or by uh, people who determine our, our work as good or not good, um, or even by ourselves. Sometimes there's something in us that wants to kind of cover it. So um, I'm finding with writing that um, I, can, um, I can even write about that. <laughs> I can even write about um, the damage 
and um, kind of write my way back to something um, whole again. And um, I like to encourage other people to do that because um, people encouraged me, so I can pass it on. You know, there's also just the wholeness of the city. And um, the arts really kind of bring about that. So uh, just think about where we would be, uh, just even in Kansas City, where we would be without art. Uh, and so um, arts bring wholeness. They bring a quality of life to, uh, to our community. And so, and as, I, as I often say, nothing happens in the arts without artists. It really takes these folks that are, that are sitting to my left and right that, that really make the, that really end up making the art. And so um, from a wholeness standpoint, from a shalom standpoint, it's, uh, it's the arts in many ways that kind of bring us uh, to a place of, of peace. Um, for me, I love the process as well. Um, I've never felt more connected to God uh, more than when I was sitting in a field of sunflowers at 3 a.m. when the, the moon was setting, so there was still some light on the sunflowers and the, and the, uh, the Milky Way was up above, and that's what I was shooting that night. Um, just a strong connection with God in that, in that regards. But really what brings it full circle is when I connect with the people that, that like my art or like my photography. Um, because there's a, a connection that they make with my art and that connects them to, to their home or it transports them to somewhere they've never seen before, but they're able to make this, or it, the photo elicits this strong, organic, uh, visceral response and uh, they, can, they can see themselves in that photo in front of this landscape. You know, they can smell the smells, hear the sounds. And for me, that's what brings it full circle to me. <laughs> Well, as you're saying that, that's um, making me uh, think about how art, um, you know, sometimes we think of the artist as being kind of the solitary artist, you know, you're kind of holed up in your, you know, but really um, it, it takes more than just, you need other people to interact with it, with your art, and um, I'm wondering uh, you know, kind of reflect back. You're kind of it's kind of a conversation almost as you're talking, as you're saying that. It reminds me of that. Um, I also know that um, uh, sometimes it's doing things together, creating together. Just uh, you're working on a project or you know collaborating on something that is um, fun. Has, has anybody experienced that? A collaboration type of process of where you found the uh, the whole to be. Uh, uh, the synthesis to be more than its desperate parts. Yeah, apparently not. Okay. <laughs> you, you did spark one thing. Um, I also mentioned in the last service that artists are very spiritual. Whether they know Christ or not, they're very spiritual. And um, I, what I have found through the process is it has given me a platform to share my love of Christ multiple times. Um, and I might get emotional this time because um, I just feel that that's a place where I have been able to um, be able to share my love for the Lord in a very non-threatening way. And people who don't know the Lord but are spiritual, I, multiple times I've had people say, I never knew that your God was a spiritual being. They don't think of Christ that way. And 
um, it's just really given me kind of a non-threatening platform to be able to, to share God's love. Okay, so I'll give you an art school story. I had a drawing instructor my first year of school, and we would, the first thing you do as a freshman is you, you overwork your art. I mean, that's just kind of what you do. You, you sit down, and we're doing drawings, and we're getting our noses this close to the pictures, and this instructor's whole thing was he would go around the room and with a stick, smack the back of the chair and say, back up, back up, back the, you know, he'd use expletives, back up, back up. And his whole point was, you're too close to what you're making. You don't see what, you don't even understand the decisions you're making because you're too close to it. And so he was injecting himself in the process, but his whole point was, it's about the audience or the person who is gonna be looking at or experiencing this. And if you can't see through their eyes, then you're missing the point. And, and I think that, for me, that's where the community comes in. When you, when you show things to other people, when you work with others to make something, then you can actually see through someone else's eyes. And, that, and that's gonna make it better, hopefully. Sometimes it doesn't, and that's a shame, but you really have to fight for that. That's fascinating. Um, uh, a couple things I wanna touch on, if we just have a few minutes left. Um, that we didn't talk about last time, Christian art. So um, sometimes there, uh, anyway, just Christian art. So what makes, what makes an art Christian art? Or is there such a thing? What would be your, just some thoughts on that? Um, I've worked on several churches as, our, as an architect, mm -hmm. and uh, one of my favorite projects was a, a black Catholic church on the Paseo. I did an addition for, and uh, I just love to go to those meetings and be with everybody, and uh, there's so much symbolism involved, and uh, it, it's, just, it's just amazing to, to see people uh, express the love for the Lord and to get on board with ideas like well, let's put all the windows up high so everybody's looking up and and just little things like that that you can do uh, which have a lot of meaning and a lot of story behind them and uh, um, you kind of preface that question before the service and as I was thinking about it, I feel like we boil down our faith and our beliefs to some very general symbols. You know, you see them out in the world. Um, and, you know, even, I mean, we have all sorts of intention behind what the symbol is and what people should take away from it. But whether people do take those messages away or not is, is a whole nother question. Um, but I feel like we share the outcome or the kind of the end of the story, the good news, you know, as a symbol. Um, but I think if we took a cue from Jesus and his storytelling, you got to go through the things being good, the fall, trying to make it better, failing, trying to make it better, failing. I mean, you think of all the miles that are traveled in the Bible, um, even to get to the good news, the sacrifice. You know, we try to serve the dessert first with people in terms of Christian art, and I think that's a miss because people don't get it. You know, they don't get the context. They don't, they don't relate to it. And it's like showing the last five minutes of a film to someone and then asking if it was a great movie or not. They're gonna say, well, I don't get it. I don't understand it. 
There's no context. Um, so I struggle with that with Christian art, I mean, to be quite honest. Um, I make picture books, I tell stories to kids, you know, all over the world, and I feel like for me to make a story relatable, I have to start with a real personal problem or struggle, and then I build a story out of that, you know, and hopefully I redeem it in some way in the end. Um, but I think that's what makes things relatable is that struggle. And if we show symbols that are polished and symbols that, you know, represent, you know, real life is good, you know, kind of mentality, then I think people are going to miss it. They're not even going to be able to relate. That's good. You know, I was just, uh, that's, that's a good point. I was thinking about the church and how sometimes we feel like we need to present ourselves as perfect. Um, you know, we never can because <laughs> we're not. We can point to the one that's perfect. But what we can present is a people that are redeemed and are in the process of being redeemed and have experienced God's redemption. And that can really only be told as a story, not the end product. Because if, if we see uh, just the end product, it's too hard. You know, it's like we have, to, we have to be that way and we haven't even, you know, it hasn't, the whole thing hasn't happened. So, yeah, you know, uh, the, the, both of you were talking about the process versus the product. And um, if we begin to compare what our very early first efforts at something, you know, picking up the trowel again in the garden, picking up the pen again, starting to stitch something, our very first efforts are not going to look like someone else's finished efforts. So we have to remind ourselves our first efforts are going to be messy. They're not going to be what we see in our heads. But eventually, with practice and with time and with um, putting something into that and, and gathering with others and learning craft, we can get closer and closer to that finished product. Um, in the prayer room, there, uh, the way the wall was assembled uh, in front of the little kneeler in the altar is that if you look at those cedar boards, they're all different sizes. Some are smooth, some are rough, some have knots, some are light, some are dark. And that was a deliberate attempt to just reflect everybody here in the room. And uh, so it doesn't have to be an in-your-face in picture of Jesus on the cross to communicate you know, Christian themes. That's good. We are going to have to, uh, boy, I, there's so many more things we could talk about, but we're going to have to end now. Thank you so much. Let's give a little thank you.